Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we're not talking about one song in particular, but a bunch of songs. This week is a bonus episode all about the Kathy slash Phoenix demo, so all those little songs that Kate Bush recorded when she was a teenager that weren't meant for our ears, but we've heard them anyway. And with me to talk about these songs is a good friend of the show. You will know her voice very well. Yes, I'm Zoe. Um, I've been on the show a bunch of times and I'm back. I'm a huge fan of Kate Bush's demos. I'm like that obnoxious fan where I will like suss out other Kate fans I meet. They'll be like, so what is what are your favorite demos? <laughs> so, <laughs> so like stop that like how deep they go. Mm-hmm. But um but they're but they're really wonderful and um and they're wonderful not just as a from a historical viewpoint to look into her career, but even just in their own right. Yeah, and I mean, we're as we're going to kind of talk about here. I honestly don't listen to these very much, but I know you listen to them quite a bit. And I mean, it's not to say that I don't like any like them, but um, yeah, I, there's know, plenty of things stuff. I love that I don't listen to a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the deal with the cat. Okay, so when I was going in and doing research about this, because it's it's it did seem kind of convoluted. A lot of her mm-hmm. early stuff seems to be kind of like convoluted especially with stuff like this that has no official word from her other than her trying to shut down bootlegs (laughs) and sometimes (laughs) succeeding and sometimes not my understanding is that when they talk about the kathy demos what they're talking about are a group of it looks like one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven demos that someone and it's not clear who exactly got a hold of these and they were going to put it out from a a West German company um, that believed that they had bought the rights to this tape of all her early stuff and they were going to issue an album in 1986 called Kate Bush the Early Years. The EMI division in Germany they knew about it, but they didn't do anything to stop it. And then when the album was, quote, pressed and white label sent out in an attempt to secure overseas distribution deals, unquote, this is from uh, this was from Gaffa.org and was first printed in the Homeground magazine number 23, summer 1986, that she got wind of it, went, nope, nope, sorry, got to stop it. And so when exactly did this happen? This was in 1986. Okay, so it was in 86. All right. Yeah, yeah. so this was supposed to happen in 1986. That, and, and still, like, nobody knows who exactly got a hold of these. I'm guessing probably somebody at one of the record companies that Kate was sending her songs to. It was Emily from uh, from Wow. We finally, <laughs> that's who Emily was. We finally just found the mystery. There we go. I know. Or so, Georgie from Don't Push Your Foot on the Heartbreak. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Georgie. Or Rudy. 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 That's why he, <laughs> that's why he was killed. Exactly. Right, went... like, wedding was solved. Anyways. <laughs> so, yeah, when it's my understanding that when they're talking about the Kathy demos, it's these 
11 songs that were supposed to, that were quote unquote, going to be released, <clears throat> shifty eyes, basically on a bootleg. And the, uh, the demo seat, the demos that were supposed to be on this album are something like a song, Need Your Love or Passing Through Air, uh, Dave or Davey, maybe humming, not the one that's called While Davey Dozed, which was the one of the Phoenix things. You Were the Star, The Gay Farewell, Kusi Kusi, Atlantis, Sunsi, Disbelieving Angel, and then one that has never surfaced somehow called Go Now While You Can. So I have a question. Is the Passing Through Air slash Need Your Loving, is that the exact same that she then released as a B-side or is it a different version of it? It's an earlier version. Okay. Yeah, I didn't yeah. actually... I it, thought it was the same one. So I was curious. It's But all of these demos were recorded supposedly from in 1973. So yeah, when that's, she why was, I was, that's why I was confused. Yeah, she was like 15 so, when these things were recorded. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Think about... I, like, I'll talk about it later. I love just leaving. I was just listening to it like a few minutes ago on the walk home. Just leaving age or 15 year old. Oof, chill. Mm-hmm. I do really. I, re- I remember that one. I forgot to put in our notes that I, I really like that one too for like the same reasons you do. Like, whoa, hey, this is kind of pointed here. It's, it's not clear what session the songs on this lost album come from. This is from gaffa.org. They actually have a really good description of just like this whole thing here. Uh, the description in Homeground. Uh, uh, see below indicates band arranged accompaniments but other trustworthy word of mouth descriptions say the album consists only of voice and piano performances albeit earlier sounding ones than any of the known piano demos and what I'm guessing what they mean by the known piano demos are what are called the Phoenix demos mm-hmm. um, it is said that the maybe version on the early years is not the version played on personal call but a piano only version and actually I can interject and say yes it is if this piano only rumor is true the record contains songs from the first or second session when she was recording with um, David Gilmore and are therefore from 1973 or earlier and you can tell when mm-hmm. you listen to these that the record the recording quality is a little bit eh, and mm-hmm. Also, her voice is definitely very young in these. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah, it's still not. It hasn't reached. It's just a lot of great vocal stuff, but doesn't have the richness that it does mm-hmm. serve her kick inside. Even, she, even though she was, didn't really train as a singer, she did mention in an interview that she took a few voice lessons kind of in between. And yep. you can tell. So those are the Kathy demos. Those are just the the ones that were supposed to be on this boot this release, you know, bootleg here. Now the Phoenix demos were they surfaced four years before the early years demos, and these demos are called the Phoenix demos because they were played on a radio station in Phoenix, KSTM. Actually, in 1982, a local DJ named John Dixon, who worked at EMI when he, when Kate was signed, he got these demos and played 22 of them on the air. And he ended up in Phoenix, Arizona? Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So this, this guy, John Dixon, he worked for EMI. He 
play these songs on the air. And this also is from Gappa.org. It says, quote, It is not clear if all the available bootleg versions of the demos come from this source. There are several differences in the recording quality which might indicate different sources. Also, there's a 23rd piano demo. It's Organic Acid, which only appeared once. Quote, on the fifth demos EP points to a second source. There are also other rumors about other demos in the possession of DJ Don John Dixon, like the man with the child in his eyes, kite, etc. And so the fe- yeah the, the the songs that were on the Phoenix broadcast are most of the demos that have surfaced from Kate Bush singing when she was a teenager. Uh, the Phoenix broadcast titles seem to be the nearest to the original because G- DJ John Dixon read them directly from the original tape. What follows are the song titles in succession as they appeared on the Phoenix tape. The Kick Inside Brother demo version, Hammer Horror demo version, It Hurts Me Feeling Like a Waltz, Stranded at the Moon Base Keeping Me Waiting, Kashka from Baghdad demo version, Surrender into the Roses Carmilla, Ode to Be in Love demo version, Rinfi the Gypsy playing Canasta in Cold Rooms, On Fire Inside a Snowball Hot in the Ice, Dolly Ferry Me Over, Where Are the Lionhearts on the Rocks, Violin, demo version, The Craft of Love, Craft of Life, The Gay Farewell, Eddie the Queen, Something Like a Song, Frightened Eyes, The Disbelieving Angel, Nevertheless You'll Do, Come Closer to Me Babe, Who is Sylvia, You're Soft, So Soft, The Rare Flower, Pick the Rare Flower, or also known as, um, I don't see why I shouldn't, While, and then lastly, While Davy Dozed. Uh, these songs came from a real tape marked November 1976. Very possibly these were the songs that Kate recorded after getting signed by EMI when they asked her to make two further demo tapes. And so most of the demos that we have of Kate singing when she was a teenager are from this extensive list. And so mm-hmm. these were su- supposedly recorded a couple of years after the early years demos. And like you were saying, you can tell there's a little difference in her vocal quality. There's, there's some parts where she's a little bit, a uh, little bit richer, but you know, that comes, that comes with age when you're, uh, yeah. when you're singing. Yeah. And just practice and training. And for those of you who are like, where can I hear these? Um, don't tell Kate, but um, <laughs> if you go on YouTube and look up, so so clever someone called it kate bush shrubberies just look that, that up in youtube mm-hmm. and you can just find all her demos that's where to find them even though now humming has been released on her remastered work on the other side but besides that these have never been released professionally and never will um there's an interview she gave on the radio interview in 1994 um where one of the some callers would call and ask her questions someone who I relate to this question very much. This is one of the things I would have wanted to ask her. Said something like, you know, I love your demos. Um, I've heard them. I love them. We haven't released them. She says, no. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't say anything else. She literally says no. And there's a dead silence. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty hilarious. But it's, she really completely disavows these and disowns these. Which mm-hmm. is a shame because it would be nice to hear, like, a well-mastered version. And it's a shame that she... It's interesting also now because I always attributed that to just her being not wanting to ever revisit her early work. But now that she's come out with the remasters of all her work and included something, included humming, for mm-hmm. example, um, 
it shows that she isn't super afraid to release her other work. And I can understand, I understand why she wouldn't want to release these because they're not, you know, they're not finished and they're perfect quality and all that. Whereas the version of Humming she released is, like you can tell, studio recorded. Whereas yep. these, you can tell, were recorded in a much more like primitive way. But yeah, but she definitely does not want anyone hearing these. Too bad, though. I know. And guess what? The internet's here. People are going to hear them anyway. <laughs> Yeah, unless unless her people hear us right now. So, shh. Shh, I know. Shh. But anyway, so so that's what so those are the um yeah, we had the Kathy demos, the early early stuff from 1973. Phoenix demos are the ones from 1976. I remember when I first kind of heard about these, and I was especially fascinated by the demo versions of songs that she later re- did actually rework for her albums, most of which were from the uh, the Phoenix demos, like The Kick Inside, mm-hmm. Hammer Horror, Kashka from Baghdad. I know we talked about that in the Kashka from Baghdad episode, about the differences in the lyrics. Because I love hearing a song and how it started, and then, oh, you've got this fully produced version, but everything in between, like, oh, there's been some changes. There's ac- mm-hmm. like actual work going into these. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially coming from an artist who doesn't really want to show that part of the process. I think what's, what fascinates me the most about these and listening to them, like you said you were listening to them a little bit today and I was listening to all of them. I put them in a big playlist in VLC and just like doing stuff around the house and all that kind of listening and stuff. And it just fascinates me listening. I, I like hearing her in this raw state because you get to see where she started. Like you can see mm-hmm. the the different themes and in or motifs even that she continued using in her work. Like uh, like in something like a song, I forgot to mention in our notes that with something like a song, I like that she's she's imitating bird song. Yeah, which she does for the rest of her career. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and so it's interesting because I I remember there's a line. I don't remember who says it in the BBC Kate Bush documentary, but she appeared to have come out of nowhere fully formed. And obviously that's not true because there was growth and development, but in a way it also is true because so much of what the themes, motifs that appear in all her work, even through her, even through Misty, there's a, there's a song, one of her demos that has some lyrics reminding me of Misty from, from 2011 so it's interesting because that was like she has these themes that come up even for when she's from when she's middle age that were already present in her work. So in a way, she did emerge fully formed. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, like listening to her playing as playing as a as a preteen, that it fascinates me that somebody who I, by all accounts, has never has never taken songwriting classes, like formal songwriting lessons. Like I've known mm-hmm. people who like their whole job is like to, to join different, uh, different songwriting groups or different mm-hmm. organizations. And you go to different conferences and you get to speak with these people who make their living mm-hmm. writing songs and blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. it fascinates me that somebody 
without ever really taking a formal composition class, but still growing up in a very musical environment, Mm -hmm. will write songs like these that were like each one's just a little bit different from the other. And I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. sure because she grew up in such a a musically rich environment. So obviously she's going to pick up on, she's going to pick up on Mm -hmm. melodies and the way they move and basic song structure Mm -hmm. and even just play around with those. And I think because she didn't take songwriting classes and that that's why part of why her music sounds so unique she's not bound by oh a song always has to have the title at the end of the chorus it always has to have a rhyme scheme and like all the other stuff that other songwriters i know like they'll look at stuff that doesn't have that that's not like a formula and they're just like they don't know what to do with it (laughs) yeah and i was gonna say i think it's for the best that yeah didn't because um there of the demos there's a good solid chunk of them where you hear them you're automatically like yeah, this is her kind of writing an Elton John song because he mm-hmm. was one. For, she said that she had pictures of him and David Bowie on her piano growing up, and you can definitely there's a, a good big chunk of those. But the ones that I find the most interesting and compelling and revisit the most are the ones that really don't sound like much else that's out there, even yeah. amongst her own body of work. So yeah, it's just that it goes to show because plenty of people grow up in very musical households, and not everyone can come out with something like this as a preteen. So it just goes to show that some people just have it. Some people have to work to be, have to work on their talent, and which she did, but oh, yeah. some people are just, you know, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline, maybe it's Kate Bush. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. Maybe it's natural. Yeah, but basically, yeah, she was born, she was just born like with it. She just has had this ability to just pick up on musical things really quickly. And it, yeah. it shows that she's, she's a preteen. You know, I played some of these for Andrew and he's just like, she was, 15 when she made this and I'm like yeah she was honey it's, yeah it's really hard for me and I try I what I try to work on is separating when I listen to the demos separating my knowledge that she is a teenager from the songs because there's a lot of them that I think when I analyze them I tend to analyze them as how this comes from a teenage point of view Mm. But then I think that's kind of like falling into a infantilizing or um, condescending trap almost. Like I think there's this thing that music critics always say, which you know, with kick inside, oh, she was only 19 when came out. Which yeah, of course that's remarkable. Like especially now, me being, I'll just say over 25. Um, I, well, I'll say I'm at the point where now, at the point in my life that she was now where she made Hounds of Love, and I don't feel great about that. But um, but <laughs> but. So the fact that people are always pointing out how young she was, I feel like it's, it's kind of the kind of sending thing. So I try to separate, but I think there is a lot in here. Like for like you know, even the line in Fragile, which says uh, just traveling from a friend's house. There are certain things that you can tell a teenager wrote, and then there's other things that it's shocking that any teenager wrote because that's all mm. I'll talk about later. One of the main thing, themes that run through her demos, even more so than in her actual work, is despair and disillusionment. Like, mm. a lot of these songs are... A lot of her published work is dark in terms of the content, for example, having murder in the wedding list, things like that. But a lot of these songs are about hopelessness and loss of faith but then also maybe a solid half are like love songs about finding you know finding something beautiful but it's interesting that someone at 15 is writing about complete hopelessness and loss of faith so often Mm. as a recurring theme throughout her work 
And then, but then it's like you fall into that trap of being like, oh, she was only 15 when she wrote this. Because, you know, I mean, the, a lot of people think just because you're 15 doesn't mean you don't have complex thoughts. So what are some of your general thoughts on the demos besides that? Well, with a lot of my thoughts are like, but kind of like the songwriting stuff that I mentioned, because I write songs. I mean, you know, I write songs. And mm-hmm. so I'm always like nerding like, oh, yeah, this is where she's placing. Um, mm-hmm. My overall thoughts on the demos is that I love I like listening to these from a historical standpoint and seeing where she started. And, you know, some of them are are better than others but i mean it's with anything creative the more you write or the more you do the better you get and certainly Mm -hmm. she was doing that in her own work i think even when even at the earliest stuff when she started it was still like way above and beyond certainly anything that you know I've come across in my songwriting circles, to be honest. Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, that's why it's maybe good that she didn't do those type of circles. Yeah, they would have ruined her confidence. And certainly if I'm in some of those places, I feel stifled, like, okay, I don't really want to do a rhyme scheme or I don't want to like, I want to be a yeah. little more This is also someone who um, John Carter Bush, older brother, says that he submitted one of her poems to a magazine once and like it won a contest and she, but she wouldn't let them publish it because they wanted to change like what line. And she was 13 or something. So <laughs> I think if she, she wouldn't have even, if she had been in some songwriting circles, she wouldn't have even cared. But they said. No, they, 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 she wouldn't have liked it. But I like, like I said, I like hearing where she started. I definitely see some themes that go through in her work, like sensuality, like pick the rare flower and the craft of life especially stick out to me because of the way they speak so frankly about sensuality and sex. It feels like some these two feel like things that could have been on the kicking side. I like I mentioned with something like a song, she's experimenting with her voice and she's starting to develop like what works for her voice and like stretching it. And like I said, there there are ones that, that I kind of go, I'm kind of on, but then others yeah. like Frightened Eyes. Like Frightened Eyes is my absolute favorite of all these, like mm-hmm. hands down. I wish that that Mine had too. been on the kick inside and we were, yeah, we were talking about that in the Full House episode and all that. I just, I just, I just fucking love that one. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Just the, the, in the insight and the theme yeah. and the... Mm-hmm the melody and i love the chord progression i love the the way that the, the chord whatever she's playing for they all look like me they've all got right. frightened eyes the way it leads into the chorus and it like oh i just love that i love her yeah her different chord progressions There's actually a really cool, um, cool remix that somebody did 
of Frightened Eyes that includes some like some background stuff that sounds kind of like Central World, and it totally works. Mm. It's really cool, yeah. stuff over the demo like I, it's just fascinating to hear her like working out how to write a song without ever having taken any lessons just her dad going oh hey here's middle c on the piano and her just like going with it mm-hmm. and you know, also and then lastly if i had been her age and going to school with her at that time i would have wanted to be friends with her because just she was like the or kind of not, quiet kid because yeah, because everyone like apparently kinda... like everyone who went to school with her is like, I would have never known. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. she seemed like, oh yeah, I'm all quiet, but there's some cool stuff going on. I would have been like, whoa, hi, hey, you're different. Hey, cool, let's be buddies. Let's have lunch. <laughs> yeah, but apparently she didn't really even show it. Like people just like yeah, she never she, she never told anyone she wrote songs. Um, mm-hmm. she when people you know people were shocked to see her on top of the pod. They were like. She was the last version of expect. She seemed kind of quiet in the back, like you wouldn't even tell about the still waters running deep from from accounts that people went to school with her. Um, yeah, but, I mean, she's definitely yeah. not the type that I would expect her going out like, okay, I'm going to go out to this open mic night and play my songs. Like, mm, no, no. yeah, no. that it was pretty much a big secret for her. This whole the, all writing songs and the only people who got to hear these songs, other than us, before bootleggers. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Were her parents and her family? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't. For me, that makes sense. I'm the type of person where, like, if I'm working on something, I don't want to share it unless it's uh-huh. really, really good. But yeah, but yeah, she definitely wasn't that person who you expect to be a star. But it's then she's writing all these amazing things. Yeah, for mm-hmm. me, like, I listen to these demos all the time, actually, and not just like because I enjoy them from a historical perspective. I really love them just as songs. Um, my absolute favorite is Frightened Eyes, which we, why well, I, oh, my brain is working today. It's discussed okay. extensively in the Full House episode mm-hmm. that we can talk more about later. And I mean, for that song, I, what I think makes it, so that's one of the ones where I'm like, actually, now that I think about it, it does make sense that Cheesy wrote it. There's such a hyper fixation of what other people think about you. But 
Very but true. it's also it's so prescient. It it sounds like something she wrote about being famous, even though and for years before she was famous. So it's just freaky. It's almost like there's a one um, magazine interview where someone asked her about dreams. She said she had a dream that she was floating in. Oh, this is 1978. She had a dream she was floating in the water and like without any way to get out. And then the ninth wave happened in 1985. But um, she might be a psychic. But like you just having talking about I feel inside latent hysteria. Why is she looking at me? They've all got so it's this fear of being scared of about being stared at. And and she's all and also like this kind of looking for home. She's always like gazing out windows in English country gardens. Um, there's all and in a lot of her demos, um, there's a lot of garden and home imagery, mm-hmm. and which continues kind of. I mean, like her most famous, I guess, like garden-based song is um, "Under the Ivy." But I've noticed in these songs in particular, tend to talk about gardens and this sense of home and comfort a lot, and and flowers and gardens are often um, associated with a sense of comfort and home. And then it's interesting because she also uses the demos for a few a good chunk of them to kind of explore geographically. She has ones like Atlantis. She has ones like Strands on the Moonbeam where she's flying. Mm-hmm. So, so she's either, it's kind of, tr- it kind of parallels that thing that people always talk about in her career where she's like really grounded, but also it, like, like ethereal um, in terms of her, her actual work. But, you know, like even she says, they've all got frightened eyes saying, leave me alone. I'm perfectly safe here inside. Please don't surprise me. All these people are looking at me. So there's that introversion and hyper-focus hyper on criticism and fear of being the center of attention. So it's just interesting that someone just wrote that and then became famous. And, the, mm-hmm. and then saying, I really like how she uses the line, they're burning up in here. It's burning up like this pain of feeling the gaze on her because she uses fire and burning imagery kind of quite a bit in her demos too on fire inside a snowball um and some other times too so it's in, and and she doesn't really use fire imagery actually in her music that much and lily's a very notable one where she does mm, um true. but it's interesting to hear and there's like and melting kind of as a metaphor for relaxing which we see in misty in a kind of a gross way but yeah so so my fate as like Leslie, my favorite is Frightened mm-hmm. Eyes. Some other ones that really stick out for me are Well Baby Dozed. Um, that one I just find like beautifully tender and intimate. That is. I just, when I listen, it really makes you feel like you're snuggling with the person you love. That and something like Come Closer Me Babe kind of remind me of things like Lamore Look Something Like You in terms of the feeling of intimacy. But mm-hmm. they're less, they, they're not as... Uh, her lyrics sometimes are more pedestrian, I've found, in her demos, but also sometimes less. Like, she doesn't... I feel like a song like such as While Baby Dozed, for me, conveys intimacy better than the lyrics that he loves inside and Lamore Looks Something Like You. That song, to me, is just very warm. And I also really like... Graham Thompson in Under the Ivy, he's very adamant that something like a song is by far her best demo. I definitely understand that. It's not my favorite one, but I definitely can see why someone would feel that way. Because it's, as you already mentioned, she's already making bird noises. So... Mm-hmm. Already. And it's a very pretty melody that shows that she isn't really afraid is. to experiment with her... Yeah. She's, what I like is that it shows that she's not afraid to experiment with her voice. Unlike some one of the more like generic 
Elton Johnny ones, like Passing Through Air. And that shows that she could write a very developed song. Um, the mm-hmm. lyrics always reminded me, because the song, basically, she hears a piper bird and who like, won't answer her, won't call back to her. And it's always reminded me a bit of the man with a child in his eyes lyrics, mm-hmm. but it's darker because the piper won't answer her, whereas the man with the child in his eyes is comforting her. Her tone of voice is sadder here than it is it's kind of in something like a song. Before I realized that she was imitating a bird in the ooh part, I thought she was kind of like crying almost. Um, but like the lyrics, I've called him by every name I know, but every name I know, but he won't answer me. He keeps coming forward, but never moving. Is there no destiny here? It's kind of like a very dark man with a child in his eyes to me. Oh, um, like I it's like it when the man won't come, when he won't comfort you. Mm-hmm. Um, is there no destiny here? My other favorites we can talk more about in depth later are I really like the um, original Kick Inside Brother demo, but mm-hmm. it's not that different from the original. I just love that. Oh, I think that's yeah. just because I love that song so much that I like hearing it in more any raw. form. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and it's not, it doesn't even sound that different, but it's, it's just beautiful. Um, I love Come Closer to Me, Babe, also because of that tenderness that it captures. I love On Fire Inside a Snowball because I think it starts out in what you think is going to be more generic. And then she does all these vocal leaps that kind mm-hmm. of come out of nowhere. And I really like that. And Disbelieving Angel, which I can talk about more in depth later, oh, yeah, is I've also is a huge standout for me. What's in one of the things that sticks out to me is the imagery from the demos that carries into her professional work, which shows that, as I mentioned earlier, she basically was a formed artist from a very early age. So, so one of those main imagery and themes that keeps on repeating is laid to the sky. So I've always noticed that she has at least one song that relates to flying per album. And in 2014, before the dawn, actually did fly over the audience and turn into a bird. So this fixation is present in her demos. So when you were the star, she says, you were the star where there was no one. You were in the sky and I was nowhere to be seen. You have fallen, oh my star. In humming, she says, you're so like a star to me. Be mm-hmm. one in your garden. So there's a star and, gar- and I garden. I get the garden, yeah. And the garden, yeah. So much garden. It's really in the demos, so much garden. That's why it's interesting. I always... That's why I've always wondered if Under the Ivy might have, like, originally been a demo or something, but we don't know. I don't think so, but we don't know. And then Strand at the Moon Base is the one that's probably most explicitly about flying, where she says, I leave my limbs behind me as I'm being lifted out of the earth, the spiritual moon base. So seeing that, she just, she clearly 
has been upset. Like, I guess, like, you know, when you ask kids, like, if you could have what food, one superpower, what would be? She would have definitely answered flying from, like, day one. I leave my limbs behind me as I begin lifted out into the, into the spiritual And perhaps uh, part of her doing all these vocal leaps is her trying to make her voice imitate flying, like having her voice just flying up there. And and also like with her like being as a kid and and you're more you're more open to different things and experimentation and with her being in such a, a loving environment and her her brothers and her family encouraging her to be musical and to to just be herself and be really cool and quirky and artsy. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. And if you're right in terms of like the vocal leaps, mm-hmm. always having her voice pat like mimic what the song is expressing. Like for example, in a song that Tessie and I are going to discuss in a later episode, "Night the Swallow," um, <laughs> yeah. it's not like there's um, if that whole song is about flying. And it's interesting because in the demo Atlantis, there's this line, nothing to tie me down, which mm-hmm. um, is very reminiscent of the, basically, that's like the main theme of Night of the Swallow. Um, so she's always had that fixation. And then the other main theme, as I brought up before, that runs through these, besides the love songs, is this cynicism and disillusionment. Um, of religion. That is very dark. Yeah, religion, but even just, not just, loss of faith in religion but i've kind of just no like loss of faith in other people loss of faith in so like for example when you were the star the star is falling that she can't mm-hmm. believe it and she and she talks about like there's no tomorrow kind of thing you Angels probably the most prominent example of that. It's hard to kind of quote a favorite line from it because I love the whole thing. But I find it one of her most sophisticated songs lyrically of this period. And the melody and vocals are memorable, but not as poppy as in the other more generic sounding demos. And so it starts, so much for all the prayers you've learned. They are no help to basic needs. And all the world they've shown you just make me even as just greedy. Um, but you have to remember also she was in Catholic school and she's writing mm-hmm. this. So pretty subversive. So much for all the prayers you've learned. They are no help to And what about divinity? I'm further away than before. You're like two, oh, again, stars colliding. Mm-hmm. And someone was listening to a lot of Bowie. And you're never going to hit the floor. Why should I whisper in the church? Because they say it's sacred ground. That's very, that's very provocative. That's like, I, mm-hmm. like someone walking into a nun saying, why should I whisper in a church? Because it's sacred ground? Really? You know, oh, my sacrilege would do you good. <laughs> yeah. you, you see, there's nothing here I found. I- so what about divinity? I'm further away than before. You're like two stars colliding, and you're never going to hit the floor. Why should I whisper in the church? 
this is really proactive. I feel so sorry for you believing because they control. And of all the guardian angels, they chose me to save your soul. Oh, I'm just trying to explain. I'm a disbelieving angel. I feel so sorry for you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll pour the line. Just ended up, of course, it's toward the whole song. But um, no, but the but, whole song is is wow. <laughs> yeah, but like it's, the thing is, it, it's a, the fact that she wrote this. I mean, she's clearly not writing as herself because she's writing to a person as opposed to like from an eye perspective. I mean, the eye clearly isn't her. She's talking about being this kind of fallen angel, like oh, maybe she's Lucifer of some sort. I relate to on a personal level, just as someone who's literally always been an atheist my whole life. Mm-hmm. But it's unlike anything, it doesn't really, in, when you actually listen to it, in terms of the melody and composition, it just doesn't really sound like much else. I can't it think doesn't. of anything that really reminds me of melodically. It's very somber. In, and it's also unique among her work in terms of explicitly referencing religion. There's a lot of her songs that are spiritual in some sense, but don't really explicitly. But she rarely explicitly references religion. And this, like in Lily, she mentions some angels, but um, or you know, or pro- I, I'm, I don't know religion. I'm sorry, whatever Gabriel and Raphael are um, <laughs> prophets. I suppose think it's supposed to be Catholicism. I'm not right. sure. It's it's not the yeah. environment that I work in, which is you know, oh, hmm, yeah. evangelical Protestants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyways, anyway, she, it's just because it's interesting mm-hmm. that she always makes a pretty disconcerted, I think pretty, it seems, I think, concerted effort to avoid religion or any, which anything makes, grounded too much in reality in her work. Which makes it all the more interesting and actually actually more infuriating, I should say, that people compare Kate Bush and Tori Amos because Tori Amos mm. is all about the explicit sexual and explicit religious references. Oh my goodness, way too many to count on yeah. her. Kate doesn't yeah, do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting because Kate was a Catholic schoolgirl. Catholicism, from my outsider's point of view, is like pretty hardcore. Lots of it can like, be. There's a lot of imagery that you can draw. Yeah, and like, there's mm. a lot of really powerful imagery you can draw from, from songwriting, and she tends not to really talk about all, like that type of stuff in her songs. So it's interesting that she has this song about being disillusioned. Um, and I've read yeah. this quote from Stuart Avon Arnold, one of her backup dancers in Under the Ivy, where he talks about how they have long phone discussions about spirituality and like Zen and stuff, but she's spiritual and not really religious. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's interesting that she, even though this isn't, this I is clearly written not from her point of view, but from a character's point of view, from a fallen angel's point of view. I wonder who she's singing to, you know, like who is this song meant to be addressed to? Who is the you? Is it herself? Is it her peers? Is, you know, it's interesting considering mm-hmm. where that her attending Catholic school at this point. Yep. But also just, just comp- as a composition, it's an absolutely gorgeous song. And that's why it stands out to me as opposed to one of the ones that sounds like, okay, I'm going to write a seventies pop rock song. Like something, for example, Nevertheless You'll Do? Yeah. 
which has Although a I, very like kind of seventies. And it, she mentions rock and roll in it. You know, I try to teach you good yeah, rock and roll, but you can't that, get rid of the old one too. Funny. Never driven through the red lights or let your mind leave your body. It's pitch black and blood every night. You set the clock right for the morning alarm. Nevertheless, to do because I've also that does on the on the word nevertheless. Um, she she's really pushing herself sky high vocally, and oh, so yeah. it shows that she talks about how on um, around the time you can side, people would ask like, why do you sing like that? Do you sound like that? She said, and she said she wanted to experiment with her upper register, but it sounds it's like she was experimenting with her upper register as early as 1972. Mm-hmm. And in terms of practice makes perfect, you know, she really was just working and working and working on it because there are t- I I. I feel I'm not vocal coach or anything. There are definitely times demos where she tries to get to those higher points and it doesn't sometimes go a little flat, whereas it doesn't on the kick inside. So she definitely, so here you hear her practicing it, but it's really cool that she, I think probably because she's doing her work so privately and not under the scrutiny of like being in school talent shows or anything that she's able to just experiment with her voice and push herself so much. But yeah, so in terms of the cynicism and disillusionment, there's also, like, is in something like a song, is there no destiny here? Humming ends with the line, there's nothing left, repeated. And then in playing Canasta, I do not like the other uh, name for that song, but it's Renfrey the Gypsy. But mm-hmm. um, she's basically, it's about being seduced and abandoned by various lovers in a very, it's almost like... Um, Warm and kind of Rantan Waltz. That rousing more Rantan Waltz in terms of like this kind of story. It almost reminds me of like a British like folk song or something about like being constantly seduced and then abandoned and like left waiting by terrible men in this song. I fell in love with the gypsy. He said, When I grew up, he'd marry me.
and then the ending of we are and where are the, where are the lion hearts? Oh Here yeah. Some some somebody I couldn't see tied me up and put me away here on the rocks. Like oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. And then she starts like lion hearts on the rocks. Lion hearts lost at sea. You know, it's it's not. Um, and but saying it in a very very singing it in a very high register, but mm-hmm. that's very dark material. It actually reminds me of um, the Bjork song Hyper Ballad, where she talks about throwing mm-hmm. little things off the cliff into the ocean, and, and then possibly herself. She's a big Kate fan, so that's why I thought of it, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, but I think it's just it's interesting how it's, when you listen to it, it just sounds like oh, she's trying to sing pretty, but the words are like she's talking about being thrown on the rock. Feels that there's nothing left. There is no destiny here, and this is like running throughout these songs. Like even, and it's funny because like in playing Canasta, like the way she sings it is very upbeat. Uh, but, and again, we talked about this in the episode for all we ever looked for. How she sings these very dark, morbid lyrics in a very upbeat way. So that's just mm-hmm. something a trademark of her work. But there's something about the demos that feels I feel more existential. And this might I don't want to I hate to say it, this might be more a teenage thing, but I feel more existential dread in her demos kind of about like what is the purpose of any of thing of anything that runs through a lot of these songs rather than like a specific sad story if that makes sense yeah and then the one other theme that i noticed i already mentioned was this kind of use of geographic exploration mm-hmm. through song in many of these she's always going into the sky in atlantis she's going into the sea in dolly she's going to spain other songs she goes into outer space so she's and then, so that, and then she can use do that throughout her career. I mean, look at a song like Egypt. Um, mm-hmm. So, and so I think, and or what's the one from Picture Words for Snow? Snow, Snow Duck at Wheeler Street. Yeah, where her and Elton John are these lovers who are kind of passing through every era of time and space. So it's interesting that she is kind of these songs tend to be either very domestic or very exploratory, yeah. um, which I think points to her own nature as, as an artist. Also, I like that in Dolly, I was I noticed this, especially when I was listening to it today. Not only is there the geographic um, exploration there, but also it, it's something that seems to be told from uh, Salvador Dolly's wife's point of view. Yeah. So it's taking yeah, a female yeah. point of view and kind of like, hey, wait, you don't really ever hear about the wife very much. You always hear about the famous husband. What about the wife? Thank you. 
Cough, Houdini, cough. Oh, speaking of, there's just so many. Okay, I have a lot of notes, even though I'm not going to rant. There's just a lot of little things I pick up on mm-hmm. that are just spooked me out when I was re-listening. Basically, I listened to all the demos and would look at the lyrics, and there are certain things that really, as I said, just spooked me. But where's the one about the keys? Um, oh, there's Susie. one. Yeah, yeah, on, on Susie, where it says, precious key, oh, Lord, the precious key. And this is my notes. I have a lot of estimation points. Because <laughs> as Kate Bush fans know, you know, the, the, on the Dreaming, there's, I mean, Houdini, it's with the kiss, I pass the key, mm. and there's all the key imagery. So that, as the kids say, I was shook. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you with Dali. Um, and also in Where Are the Lion Hearts, she says, Joan of Arc walks into my mirror, a burning sword, I'd like to cry. And then on Ariel, she's a song about Joan of Arc called Joni. Mm-hmm. So it's, and also what's interesting about that moment in Where Are the Lionhearts is that she's being protected by outside kind of spiritual forces, which like, which reminds me of Lily. Um, oh, yeah. And Where Are the Lionhearts, I think, is a notable one for not being, being one of the less poppy sounding ones. Although I have to admit, I like it, but I don't listen to it often it's mm-hmm. yeah and um, another one that i think stands come close to me babe i i mentioned i really love i think it's very sensual as you mentioned in talent tender the line who who is sylvia kind of takes me out of the song a little bit i'm not gonna lie it kind of ruins like the vibe for me because there's this, there's this play by edward albee called the goat or who is sylvia and i always think of that but i love i adore when she says in the sky at 28 seconds in this really long extended note and also the word soon being stretched out at one minute 20 seconds in if you can find those but that song in particular out of all of them feels the most like side two of the kick inside the side two of the kick inside is like a bear is very very sensual um it, and and often down downright explicitly sexual but this this song is of all of them the most like kick inside side two to me there's another one that always I forgot about this one that uh, stands out to me. It's it hurts me f- or feeling like a waltz. It's mm. like why must I self indulge in memories? I should be celebrating to a moving melody, but it hurts me mm. and I'm feeling like a waltz, growing old, 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 old. Like we were talking about disillusionment. Yeah, no, and exactly. <laughs> oh, I was fiery, but you put exactly. me out. I was always one for loving and leaving. Slipping past. Chimney pot down among the ashes, away from old times. Why must I self indulge in memory? I should be celebrating to a moving melody, but it hurts me. Oh, but it hurts me, it hurts me. 
This is like when you read the lyrics, the way she sings it doesn't sound like this at all. But when you read it, this is something I expect to hear like at a torch, like a torch singer in like the 30s, like smoking mm-hmm. a cigarette, like jaded, like like some like a movie with Marlena Dietrich or something, <laughs> you know, not like not a teenage girl. Like she sat like that. But that shows like, I mean, I'm sure she did have experiences of heartbreak and loss in her life. But um, but it shows her ability to play characters always like even in which is shown in the um the kathy photograph that her brother took where she's basically playing dress up that she liked to do that in private mm-hmm. but yeah those you're right those lyrics are very notable <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that was when i remember when i first discovered the demos i won't say how but when i first discovered them that that one stood out to me because of it because of the lyrics and and also there's a little bit of French in there. She says, "Love walks with a stranger. L'amour marche avec un étranger." Mm. Yeah, for me with the demos, it's harder for me to latch on some of the lyrics because with the sound quality, it's harder to oh, make yeah. them out. So I tend to just like base to the ones I like are based on how they sound usually. But after doing some more research on these. And looking up some of the more of the lyrics, I come I definitely come to appreciate some of them more. Like for example, with Sunsi or Sunsi, um, it's definitely so the structure is very similar to Kusi Kusi and humming. So it's more in that generic Elton John influence vein, and the lyrics in general. But the but what's interesting is the lyrics kind of remind me of a less sophisticated Ascended in Gaffa in regards to being about seeking mm. out something unsolvable. So some of the so she says, you really make me want to speak it out. Oh, Sunsi, you released, oh, again, the precious key. I don't know if your mystery will m- remain. Oh, oh, no, flame again. Oh, where is the light where, where I have the seen flame. the flame? So that, I mean, I, I actually have no idea what that last line means, but I love it because I love anything with fire imagery. Um, Leo, right, Leo moon right here. But, um, but I like that, even though it sounds kind of generic, there's, she still like has this search for knowledge theme in there that she will come to refine in suspended gaffa. You know, mm-hmm. norm like in my before reading lyrics, I would have never connected these two songs. always one of my favorites because of the melody it's a very unusual melody very unique and it's interesting that she still says ah but she's wonder ah but she's wonderful you know mm-hmm. but so it's so she's singing about a woman which she normally doesn't really do um and normally most women artists don't do um so that's just another unique point where you can 
see, oh, here's someone who's not just writing from their point of view in a confessional singer-songwriter type of way. But I really, there's a really poetic line, even though it reminds me of Misty, um, <laughs> which I don't love, but it, this line which says, a crystal layer of ice on mm-hmm. our skin, very numb outside, but warm within. It's very lovely, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, the, oh, that yeah. is beautiful. Yeah, so just, I mean, like, you could have used said that instead of sticky, sticky love inside. I will, sorry, I will never stop dragging that line. <laughs> I will never stop. But but it just shows, like, yeah, that's a very, that's really beautiful. And I, I mean, I, that's even better than Lawyers and Misty by far. I'm just saying, um, don't, don't at me, as the kids say. But. Another thing to point out in terms of like her interest in foreign exploration is in the exotic and which mm-hmm. in ways that sometimes is like not great. Um, so for example, the one called playing canasta in cold rooms, also known as Rinse the Gypsy, which is a slur used against Romani people, but also she was extremely young in the 1970s when she wrote these songs and, um, that wasn't really, unfortunately, it wasn't really part of like the cultural discourse to talk about cultural appropriation or slurs. I mean, it was to some extent, but not the way it is now. And also just having parents who are around her age, I know that it was like the thing to be into like the East and India and like foreign cool stuff, like Beatles Magical Mystery Tour. Cause like that's, that's when she, she, she always says one of her favorite albums is um, Sgt. Pepper's. She's super into that. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because she shows her interest in the exotic and being literally carried off, as she says, by it. So the song kind of feels like it was written by someone much older and jaded by falling in and out of relationships with men who have hurt her. And I really love the delicate vocals on this one. I actually, but then it's funny because she has, it's this tale of love and loss. And then all of a sudden talking about like playing canasta for a few verses. Yeah, that takes me out every time, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, same. I like the first part and then it's like playing canasta. Like, okay, now you're trying to make it like a generic rock song. And then another one I really like, yeah, and then also another notable example is the one that goes by either names Queen Eddie or mm-hmm. The Gay Farewell. And so with that song, I, it's, a, I, it, it's actually one of the more memorable ones, lyrically. It's really catchy. Like, I will find it stuck in my head all the time. It's very, very catchy. Um, and it's also very 70s glam rock. You can mm-hmm. hear where it's coming from but um but it's also the lyric it is basically a nice straight girl trying to be an ally and failing by just like kind of regurgitating stereotypes about gay men in a night in a well-meaning way um but i do love her vocals on it so like she calls him a so it's about boy named eddie who's gay hence gay farewell Mm -hmm. and um who misses his baby who misses his lover so she calls him a queen, which like, oh my God. And she calls him raving, which is a way to like feminize 
um, gay man, other standout lyrics. Oh, Eddie was so pretty, but now his boy is leaving. Hey, boy, you're so young to be a queen weeping. You're just a little princess. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't think you'd say that about... I don't think Kate Bush would write that about a straight man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think... Like, 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 I mean, there's just, like... She writes a lot of songs in perspective of men, actually. I think, I don't know, there's this woman's work. She's not telling... She's not calling that man a princess. Like, that's the song about a man who's being very emotional. and She's not calling him a princess. So, Kate, <laughs> you tried. You tried. I've never seen such a sad queen as Eddie. I've seen him raving, maybe even in pain. Never. definitely is i agree <laughs> like just like literally like a song of calling a gay man a queen and a princess just, would not would not fly today but it is as i said very catchy it's it, like a definitely a standout um lyric like in terms of the melody and everything so humming slash maybe um slash davy maybe davy um is one <laughs> but, not while davy does. but not while davy does but not davy far prefer um so i recently read an article by a man named steve pafford and mm-hmm. maybe even link to the article if i want to give him credit because i would have never this would have never occurred to me um so he read after this was released as part of her remasters he speculated that the song is about david bowie mm-hmm. and so she's talking about like this rock star and she used and she also uses the name davy in while davy dozed um as we mentioned so the question is, is she possibly writing and singing at Bowie? She did say that she had pictures of him and Elton John on her piano. Like, so that was literally her inspiration as she wrote and composed. And, it's, and what makes me especially interested is that as a Bowie fan, the following lines feel to me like an attempt at writing Ziggy Stardust era Bowie lyrics. She says, well, strike a light in my head, watch you buzz around the floor, but it's no good because you give your own buzz and more. Mm-hmm. Everything is a stride. It's all right. Like, that sounds like Rebel Rebel. Doesn't sound like a Kate Bush song. I don't know. So that, it's just interesting that thought never occurred to me on Slayer that it article. And I don't, I don't know if I necessarily even buy it, but it is interesting I think that I just think it's, it's an interesting point of view, especially considering those lyrics. Like when I read those mm-hmm. lyrics, I was like, "This really sounds like um, the, like hang on to yourself from um, Ziggy Stars, the Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stars, and the Spiders from Mars." Doesn't sound like her voice, yeah, as an author. Well, I know that she. I was aware of that she supposedly went to see some of his concerts. 
So I wouldn't he be surprised. One, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if if that experience inspired her. And mm-hmm. I I took it as just like about a. I think it could be about just a rock star with a lot of charisma, and he always yeah. Same. I always like the um. I I especially like the first line of the chorus of that song because I I mm-hmm. like the little play on words. Like she is mentioning gardens, but then mm-hmm. you know. Oh, so maybe you have many birds, and so it makes me think oh, of, like, yeah. birds, is it because she is talking about a garden, you usually get a lot of birds in a garden, but also birds in the British sense being women, like he's got a lot of women, or he's got a lot of groupies hanging around him, but mm-hmm. she still wants to be a part of, you know, you're still like a star upon me to be one in your garden, humming to, like, I, you give off this really cool charisma, and I just want to be a part of it. <laughs> Totally, totally. And so I can understand why someone would think that was about Bowie, because like who gave off more charisma or was cooler than Bowie. But mm-hmm. it doesn't have to. But it doesn't have to. And but it doesn't and have they, to. And she uses the name. And she uses the name JP in it. But um, but I don't think it has to be. I think it's mm-hmm. either way. But it's cool. There's the, the teen fangirl came out there in that song. Also, there's another line in that song that you set the scene for any revolutionary who will ferry me. And then mm-hmm. later in, in actually in that article that you mentioned, I know which one you're talking about, um, the the author states that the fairy might be a reference to Brian Ferry, who is the Ray. lead singer of Roxy Music, who also had a lot of charisma. And so yeah. that he was like, hey, this, this is a little clever play on words. And I look at that and go, I, oh, my gosh, that's true. It might be. I thought that one was reaching a little because I was also thinking of her, her demo Ferry Me Over. Um, mm, so it's true. clearly an image you're returning to a lot, but she also uses the word the name Davy a lot. I know she could just, yeah, but yeah, but I, I it's, fun, it's always fun to speculate. <laughs> yes, it is, and especially because Kate's never going to talk about any of these songs. I mean, she tried to, and she just said no. Yeah, it's it them. It's the funny. It's the funniest. But I know yeah, even funny. ones. Yeah, even ones I don't listen to a lot. For example, Atlantis, the opening is just in an ocean in a very high pitch. So it shows what's to come. It's almost like the opening, like preview of like the opening of Wuthering Heights and shows that she was already experimenting with her voice. And the piano notes and structure remind me of the Empty Bullring, which is one of my absolute favorite songs of hers. So mm-hmm. this song actually is one that I'm glad that I revisited. And there's also some spooky aerial foreshadowing where she's just covered in coral and coral. And as we, mm, some, we know, she has a song called A Coral Room on that. Yep. So I just like how it shows that she's playing with pitch and range in ways that are similar to the Wuthering Heights and the Empty Bull Ring from the beginning. And as I mentioned earlier, she has a line about nothing to tie me down, which is like, not just something that recurs at her songs, but kind of like the def- kind of defines her entire career and the way she conducted her career. When I was like becoming a Kate Bush fan, one of the first things I heard about was like, oh, she has like, it's just like this known thing that she has all these demos that are really rare and really amazing. But I kind of took time to actually, it took me a while to actually listen to them because I'm a completist. I am like, I have to listen to like everything my favorite people have done. That's why I'm like, if you've made, more than 10 albums i can't get in, get into you it's too much um sorry for you there's kind of like the demos amongst like her hardcore fans are kind of this like holy grail mystical type thing so it's really fun to talk to other people about them and mm-hmm. with, whenever i learn whenever i whenever i test people <laughs> to ask them what their favorite <laughs> demo is and i learn that someone actually is familiar with them it's always really fun to talk about the demos because um because, as I said, I think they're really great songs in their own right. And my absolute dream pr- project for Kate Bush in the future 
my absolute dream, I've said this in other episodes, is for her to actually read, because my favorite song of her, my favorite recent song of hers is Among Angels from 50 Words mm-hmm. for Snow, final song on that album. It's just voice and piano. And these demos are generally just voice and piano. I would really love to hear her, like, even though she won't, remake some of these songs now in the style of Among Angels. Because there are some, like, for example, that are about disillusionment and despair that make more sense for a woman who's 60 to be yeah. singing than a woman who's been a girl who's 15. I mean, her voice has changed so much to the point where I, if you played me your voice now and her voice, then I literally wouldn't know the same person. But be, I would just be curious to hear what she would do with them now in terms of reinterpreting her own work, because as we've seen from her remastering her work, she's less afraid of confront of what she's done looking at her old work as than we thought. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I would love to hear kind of better sounding versions of these as well, because like kind of like we were talking about with the lyrics, some of the lyrics in places are really muddy. And a lot of that has to do mm-hmm. with the source. You're, mm-hmm. you, these were depending on versions you have and the versions I have, your version might be a little bit older than mine because it came off of like a fifth generation tape or something like that. Mm-hmm. And every time you copy something, it degrades a little bit, especially with tapes. So mm-hmm. I too would love to hear a better, better sounding versions of these and just re- like, even if she took these older, these older demos and remastered them and came, put in like extensive footnotes or something obviously that's never going to happen but hey you know what dreaming is free so there you go you know it's a part of her history that yeah she doesn't want to acknowledge but I like that these are out there and so that we can we as fans can see her in this raw state like these demos are Mm -hmm. like the few times we ever really get to peek behind the curtain and I know she doesn't want that and as an artist I can understand like not wanting to share something unless it's completely ready and everything. But she's somebody who just keeps these things so guarded Mm -hmm. that I like being able to peek behind the curtain and saying, oh, yep, cool. Yep, I can see you're human. There we go. Absolutely. And what I actually think about that is that, yes, they are raw, but they're also, to me, they're better than a lot of published songs I hear by any artist. I pre- I'm glad they're out there not just to hear her in a raw state, but just because they're really good songs. And mm-hmm. I really like them. And I don't really know a single fan who knows the demos who doesn't really enjoy them. It's not like, I, I, there are certain fans who don't, who are like, oh, I don't know if she needed to do director's cut. Like, that's kind of divisive. The demos are kind of universally loved by fans. Um, mm-hmm. As far as I have as far as I have known and talked to. So they're really, um, it just shows that she has so many, so much else up her sleeve that we have not gotten to see. Um, And even myself, like, like I said, I don't listen to these a whole lot because for me, some are better than others, but I do agree with you that they are even in their, and I say raw state because only because of the way it was recorded. That this yeah. was probably on a reel-to-reel tape recorder sitting in the sitting in the corner of the piano room or something, yeah. as opposed Absolutely. to sitting in front of the studio and being in front of a nice microphone like the microphone I'm in front of <laughs> speaking right mm-hmm. now. But but that they are they're they're very sophisticated and 
intriguing pieces of art. Yeah, like these are things that like I can imagine, let's say she had never ever made any music ever and someone found these in a basement and was like, here's like some demos that a, a young woman made in the 70s and people thinking, wow, these are really cool, you know? So like, even if it wasn't just as Kate Bush, because it's Kate Bush. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this isn't a, if she never, like, this is a very interesting talent. Would have loved to see what happened with her, you know? Well, it's been a lot of fun talking about the, uh, talking about these early, early years here, like, such a good part of her history and you know i wish that she would acknowledge them a little more yeah it would but um but yeah it's fun to talk about and it's fun to like talk it with their fans so i know other fans have a lot of opinions on the demos and everything so feel free to like after you listen to this (laughs) tell us tell us what you think about your favorite demos something moments that you like or for any other like creepy foreshadowing moments like with the keys and we didn't even talk about organic acid, but we don't have to. <laughs> I don't think we need to really know. Let's not. <laughs> Let's, Let's not. And say we did. Though, if you do like organic acid, please feel free to tweet at me or Facebook message me and tell me why that's one of your favorites. Because, eh. But anyway, that's okay. Yeah, it's all right. If, if I'm going to do some <laughs> weird brother-sister stuff, I'll go with the Kick Inside brother demo. Mm, very true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for having me again. It's always good. It's always a pleasure. Of course. If you have a favorite Kate Bush song that you would like to talk about for a future episode, here's where you can contact me. You can email me, kbcast at linkmedia.com. Let's link with an E. You can contact me through my website, kbcast.linkmedia.com. You can find me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. Also, Strange Phenomena now has a Patreon page. So if you would like to check out the exclusives that I'm offering for your support of the show, including a super secret subscriber feed called Deeper Understanding, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast. This month, I have the first episode available of Deeper Understanding, the exclusive Patreon feed where I get to talk with Sean Toomey, the founder of KateBushNews.com. But there was very few decent sites around that time. Most of them were just sort of picture galleries and sort of, um, mm. they all had names like Under the Ivy and um, uh, I don't know. They, there was none of them kind of, um, there was nothing. I wanted to go to a website that was kind of like Home Brand Magazine, which I had been subscribing to for years. And uh, I wanted it to be factual. I wanted it to be informative. But I wanted it to kind of respect Kate as just a, a contemporary artist. To hear more exclusive content like this, you can go to patreon.com slash katebushpodcast and subscribe today. Join me next time where we will be going into the dreaming Kate Bush's fourth album. See everyone then. See everyone then.